You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Kootenai Community Church Adult Sunday School. Uh, we are again in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we left off on verse 21. So we're going to look at verse <clears throat> 21 through 28. Before we do, I'd like to just open in prayer. Father, we just come to you this morning We recognize our total and utter dependence upon you. And as we examine your word this morning, we just pray that you would be granting us grace and understanding and illumination to the words that you have penned through your servant in the Old Testament. We ask that uh, also, as we examine this, that we'd be able to appropriate the principles that are brought forth in this text. We ask that you would continue ministering to those that are afflicted in our body and all that have been struggling. And we ask, Lord, that you would minister strength and healing. And we ask now that you would guide us in our study and that you and you alone would be glorified. We just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, there's many uh, different slogans in the military. And as they recruit young men and women, they offer different uh, slogans. For instance, the Army had a slogan previously that, be all that you can be. And then there was another slogan that they changed it to, the army of one, and then they decided that isn't quite what we want. We want more of a team effort. So then they uh, recently changed it to army strong. The Navy has changed theirs numerous times over the years, and I believe their latest slogan for recruiting is forged by the sea. The Marine Corps, however, was one branch of the service that never changed their slogan. And it went back to 1779. And this was their slogan. The Marines are looking for a few good men. As we open the text this morning, we realize as we read through the Old and New Testament that there are individuals that God uses greatly that are committed to him and that will bring forth the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we had pictures and types, and yet it began to weave this long and strong line of proclamation of the coming Messiah. Of course, that begins in Genesis and goes through all the way to the New Testament. Here, we're looking at an individual, actually a family, a couple, 
that would be the family of Hannah. So as we began this book, and we looked at the first chapter, we saw that Elkanah, who was Hannah's husband, would make a journey each year. And they would go, actually, on a long journey. And Jim showed us pictures of this. And it was from, they would travel from Ramah-Athane, Zophin, which is the hill country in Israel, and they would travel all the way to Shiloh, which was no easy journey, because when they traveled, they did so to bring with them an offering and a sacrifice. So they would make this trek every year. During the course of the picture of Hannah, we look at this. Previously, we saw Hannah had turned to the Lord and sought his help. She had been provoked bitterly and overcome by grief. Her rival, Peninnah, which was the second wife of Ramah, <coughs> excuse me, second wife of Elkanah. As we look at that, we recognize that she bore children and also Hannah did not at that time. She was barren. So she cried out to the Lord. She was in deep pain and sorrow because she desired to have a son that she could dedicate to God. Hannah did not seek vengeance nor harbor any resentment. Even after all the chiding and disgust and harmful things that Peninnah provoked her with. And yet, instead of vengeance or bitterness, she took all her pain and sorrow and lifted it up to the Lord. And in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, this is what Hannah said. So turn with me to verse 11. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all his days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So this prayer also brought with it a vow. It wasn't just that she was praying for a son, but she was praying for a son that she could also dedicate back to the Lord in service for his entire life. So God responds to her prayer. Her prayer was sincere, and yet she prayed diligently. So at the end of this opening chapter, there's several questions we might remain as we consider now that Hannah has had the answer from the Lord. She had a child and has now spent a couple of years nursing that child and weaning that child. 
So she has had time to hold this child, this young infant boy, to nurture him and prepare him for this life of service. As she did so, it may present a question to us. Will she be able to fulfill her vow? Remember, this vow was to God. So we want to know, is she going to fulfill this vow or not? Many have made vows before the Lord and broken them. But as we look at that, that's a serious, very serious sin against the Lord. I'll read to you a portion of Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. states this, When you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be sin in you, and the Lord, your God, <clears throat> will surely require it of you. That's in Deuteronomy 23, 21. There's another text in Deuteronomy that says, Better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it before the Lord. So there's stern warnings about vows. And yet, when a vow is made to the Lord, it should be fulfilled. As we think of vows nowadays in this culture, we think of marriage vows. They should be made soberly and understanding that this commitment is for life. And so as we look at this, we see that Anna understood her vow. She was committed to the Lord, and yet they still was a question. Some even say that she may have kept this son if she had him this long. Some were thinking that. Her husband questioned it. In verse 21 of chapter 1, says this, Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. As we looked earlier in verse 3, would travel every year faithfully to worship and make sacrifices to the Lord. So he did so faithfully and lovingly, because he did love the Lord, and he also loved Hannah. <clears throat> so the next portion, as we look at verse 22, we look at this essence of the dedication of Samuel to the Lord for lifelong service. <clears throat> Hannah was a very mature woman of God. She viewed her vow as a commitment to God. Not something she took lightly. She took it soberly and understood what that meant. <clears throat> In the Jewish culture, it was quite common for a mother, when weaning a child, to keep that child in that stage three years. Three years of weaning to bring the child to health and well-being. That's exactly what Hannah did. She kept the child with her. She did not make any trek to Shiloh to worship with her husband. So as we look now <clears throat> in verse 21, then the man Elkanah 
went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she, he was weaned. <clears throat> so as we look at this now, her husband understood because there's more depth to this than I first thought. As we look at this, if Hannah would have made that trek with her son Samuel to worship, then she would have had to leave him there because she had made that vow. Keeping him home, she was able to keep him home until he was weaned. So she didn't make any trips to Shiloh to worship until the child was weaned. Three years. <clears throat> Hannah, again, was a mature woman of God. She knew that her son was a gift of God. She would fulfill this vow when the child was weaned. So there's several characteristics here which Hannah's response would explain why she was willing to keep such a demanding vow. First, it was clear that Hannah's godly behavior, which was filled with gratitude to her Lord, yet her husband knew the seriousness of the vow, and he wanted to make sure that his wife would fulfill this. <clears throat> so now we see in verse 23, this is what Hannah does. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems right to you, best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. Now, this is interesting. This text is, there's some different views of what is meant in this text. <clears throat> in the MacArthur Study Bible, if you look at your commentator notes on the bottom, it talks about, well, maybe when Elkanah said, only may the Lord confirm his word, that there was a word from the Lord speaking to Elkanah and Hannah. But when we look in the exegetical commentary, we see that Elkanah expressed his approval of Hannah's decision, but then added, may the Lord confirm his word. By his word, we are not saying some direct revelation. Now, this is from Kale and Delch, <clears throat> from God, in respect to the birth and destination of Samuel, as some of the rabbis have interpreted. So that may give clearer understanding why John MacArthur made that statement. It could have been a prayer, or it could have been a word from the Lord earlier that wasn't recorded. And yet, 
in the study exegetically and combining that with the traditions and practices during that period, this is the conclusion that they made. Some of the rabbis have interpreted in the way of a direct revelation, but in all probability, the word of Eli, the high priest, to Hannah, when he said in verse 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace and may the Lord God of Israel grant your petition, is speaking of what Eli had imparted to Hannah. In verse 17, In verse 17, Eli says this, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. We remember looking at that last time. We recognized that Hannah's burden was lifted. She put it into God's sovereign hands. She was able to do so because of the words of the high priest, Eli. He had given her this encouragement. She believed that God would provide a child, but if he didn't, she was okay with that. So that burden was lifted. She wasn't any longer troubled or depressed. Now, When she had weaned him, she took him up with her three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Now, most English versions, including the English Standard Version as well as the NASB, make this verse say this. Hannah brought three bulls, also renders in this way. Scholars consider the original reading from the Hebrew text was problematic. And so they reduced it to one three-year-old bull, in part because verse 25 says that they slaughtered the bull, singular. But the main objection to the original text is the extreme economic sacrifice that would have been involved in such an offering. To such a primitive culture, people uh, were mostly agricultural, they were poor, and three bulls would have been an extremely staggering amount of wealth if they were to take three bulls and offer them for sacrifice. Unable to imagine this, such generosity, the Hebrews changed the translation. But Hannah's additional gift, listen to this, an ephah of flour, which amounted to three-fifths of a bushel, which would have been the equivalent to approximately five gallons which seems fit for offering of three bulls. Since the law prescribed that three-tenths of an ephah of flour should be offered along with each bull, 
so that Hannah's offering of a whole ephah was slightly more required than they required for three bulls. So her sacrifice was above the normal sacrifices for one bull. That's why they concluded that this definitely could have been three bulls. That's a significant sacrifice. Think of it. They're a family that travel every year to offer sacrifices, and they bring three bulls, just the logistics alone. As Jim pointed out, the distances, when we saw the slides from Israel, and imagine bringing three bulls, bringing the flour, bringing the wine, bringing all their necessary food, and making that trek all the way to Shiloh. It's a tremendous sacrifice. As we look at the Levitical law numbers, verses 8 through 10, this is what the requirement was. When you prepare a bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, which is four to six gallons of fine flour mixed with one-half a hen. What's a hen? It's six to eight pints of oil. And you shall offer as the drink offering one half a hen of wine as an offering by fire, as soothing, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. So this was going to be a burnt offering, part of it, which they would take the sacrificial bull or oxen and they would slaughter it and then they would use a, make a fire offering. As they did so, they still had two other bulls that they would have left there for the priest to use for further sacrifices. <clears throat> so in addition, Hannah brought a jug of wine, which amounted to six gallons. That's a lot. Yes, Emily. Yes, I'm sorry, that was... Uh, In Deuteronomy 23:21. You're welcome. The question was, what was the reference about the sacrifice offering? That was in Deuteronomy 23:21. As we look at this great offering that Hannah brought to worship and offer to the Lord, we think of her great generosity as well as Elkanah's. But the greatest generosity here is her offering her son as a sacrifice for life. Think of this. Having a child, her only child, bringing it to the high priest in Shiloh and offering that child to stay there and be raised there by Eli, as well as having the ongoing commitment to serve the Lord all his days. But that wasn't hard for her. Because she loves the Lord so much, she wanted a godly offspring. She nurtured that boy. She also wanted him to serve the Lord, God, for his entire life. So that's what she did. 
After the bulls and the flour and the wine are mentioned, we read in 24b, this is what is recorded. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. We have to remember now, this child's only three years old, but she did not want that child to be a burden. So not only was he weaned, but he wouldn't have to have special care for, uh, in addition as an infant would. That's why she brought him at that age. She had prepared him for this. So now we see just how great a sacrifice Samuel would be Hannah's child all his life, but the dedication was to the Lord. She wanted him to be a servant of God forever. Hannah had gained the blessing of God, plus the respect of her husband, as well as the high priest, Eli. All of them recognized this great sacrifice that Hannah had given. Later, God would give her three sons for her faithfulness and two daughters. That's in chapter 2. As we go on to think about this, she offered this child and dedicated this child to a life of service. We today have not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. As we look at the letter to the Romans, and we often quote this, Paul was urging the believers in Rome in this way. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are all called to dedicate ourselves to the Lord for life as believers. That is our calling as well. In verse 25, it says, Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. The particular sacrifice is referred to, that is referred to was associated with the presentation of dedicating the boy. That is, they had a burnt offering by virtue of the boy being consecrated unto the Lord and the sacrifice for lifelong service. According to the Old Testament ceremonial law, the sacrifices offered a burnt offering to signify fulfillment of the vows that were made to God. In verse 26, it goes on to say this. She said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. Now, who is she speaking to? Eli, the high priest. So she wanted him to know. Remember the scene last time she was worshiping and bringing an offering. She was sobbing and she was praying silently to the Lord and petitioning God 
for this child. She was praying so feverishly or fervently that the high priest, Eli, looked at her and he thought, perhaps this woman is drunk. So he accused him, she accused her of being intoxicated, being drunk with wine, which was a reflection also of his lack of spiritual insight and maturity because she was praying fervently yet silently. And yet it was obvious when her appearance, her lips were moving, but no sound coming out. As we know, the custom in that period of time for the, for the Jews was to play, pray out loud. And yet Sarah had this deep relationship with the Lord. She understood God was hearing her prayer. So she wanted to identify herself now. I was that woman. And I was the one that was pouring out my soul. So we look at this in verse 26 says, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So she is acknowledging that this child was an answer to her prayer. Now she's bringing this child for a lifelong service. Now, the practices of serving as a high priest in a temple or place of worship, they would traditionally serve for a period of about two to three years before they could branch out and minister elsewhere. But here even though she said for a lifelong commitment to worship here, that isn't what was meant from the Old Testament practices. So when Hannah presented the boy Samuel to the high priest Eli, she now identified herself and she told him of her prayer. And as we think of the prayer, the second part where she has made this dedication and vow, when she says this, if you give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord. In other words, she's giving back what God granted her. But this is another part that we have to understand. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come to his head. Now we know In the Old Testament, there was a practice of Nazarites taking a vow, and it was a strict vow. They would refrain from any fermented grape. They couldn't have even vinegar. They could not put a razor to their hair. They had to allow their hair to grow. So there was systematic and yet concrete laws, ceremonial ceremonial laws, which were held as a high guideline to set them apart for this special calling with their Nazarite vow. In Numbers 6.5, there's the essence of this vow. Hold on a second. As we consider this, (coughs) 
I'll read this text. Numbers 6, 5, and 6. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair on his head grow. So that was the first and single requirement they had, or the first few requirements they had for the Nazarite. Now in verse 27, as we continue on, this is what is said. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Hannah petitioned the Lord, the Lord God Jehovah, whom she worshipped and loved and trusted. She knew that God could provide her a son and was able to leave that with the Lord. That's why her countenance changed. Remember, going in there to pray and offer a sacrifice, she was weeping, she was in sorrow and agony because of this desire and the constant provoking of Penina. Remember, Penina in the first portion of chapter 1, she would provoke her continuously and just to where she would try to hurt Hannah because Hannah was barren at this time. So this went on for a long period of time. Verse 28, So I have dedicated him to the Lord, As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. Now, there's some translation differences here that I want to try to explain. The varied translations in this text, the King James uses the word lent in place of dedicated. So as we consider this word, what does it mean? This is from the exegetical commentary. It says the Hebrew word means either to ask or to lend, depending on the mode of the verb. Hannah makes use of this wordplay to acknowledge that the proper response to her answered prayer is the dedication of a child to the Lord's service. The faith that receives God's gifts also uses those gifts for God's glory to advance his kingdom. So Samuel would always be Hannah's child, yet he is dedicated to God all his life. So when Hannah says he is lent to the Lord in the King James Version, it happens to be the name of Saul in that version, which is Israel's king, not yet to appear, he'll come a little bit later in 1 Samuel. But as she received the boy in stewardship, she was happy to make him God's child. She realized, yes, I have this child now. He will be my child all my life. And yet I want him to glorify God, serve God all his life. So she willfully, it says, lent But as we look in the NASB, it's a closer 
translation, and it says, dedicated him. So I also dedicated him. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. One of the main transitions in 1 Samuel, of course, is the in the Israel history, Samuel would be replaced by a king to make Israel like all other nations. When he was old, he gets older, they didn't think he was be able to have a ministry over Israel. So they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted a king, which was their downfall. Considering the last verse in chapter 1 of Samuel, they have an interpretive challenge here. So as we look at this, the King James Version, the English Standard Version, substitute the word dedicated with the word lent. Now this is what the commentator says. The word lend, used in the King James Version and the English Standard Version, have no other support than a false rendering of the Septuagint and is altogether unsuitable in the Septuagint. There is support to render the word dedicate in lieu of lend or lent. It can be properly translated dedicated or give. So a proper understanding of Hannah's account will recognize the uniqueness of her situation. The account of Hannah's offerings and a great deal of insight into her marriage, she is an extraordinary woman. So the first thing that stands out about Elkanah and Hannah is their commitment to worship to God. They would make the pilgrimage each year to worship. Again, they go from Ramathame, Zophah, to Shiloh each year to offer sacrifices and praise to the Lord. Now, the Pentateuch gives this imperative. So the quote is from Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. It says this, You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vows, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, and all that undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So the failure to observe this command also contributed to widespread adultery amongst the Israelites because they failed to honor God, to worship God, to bring sacrifices to God, and they became unlike any of the other nations, the pagan nations, and yet they were God's chosen. Elkanah faithfully brought his family to Shiloh each year. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord yearly. It's in verse 3, chapter 1. As Christians, we have a great motivation for gathering together for collective worship on the Lord's Day. We 
gather together for collectively for Bible studies. We gather together to worship, to praise, to hear God's word taught and preached. We lift up our praises to the Lord because we want to honor him with all that we do. Hannah, in this text, provides us with an outstanding example of faithfulness and generosity. Her spiritual partnership with her husband, the zeal to offer her son in God's service, we, rene- <clears throat> we can also recognize the unique features of her calling and service. We also realize that every believer is called to the Lord to serve for the cause of the gospel, promoting the gospel, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. What Hannah had offered God came from God in the first place. When Hannah brought young Samuel to Eli, the high priest, she told him this, My Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing there here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition because I asked of him. The only reason that Hannah had something valuable to offer back to the Lord was because God gave her, provided her with this treasured gift of a son. In Paul's letter to the saints in Rome, he asked this question. Who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? Sorry, I didn't quote the text. It's Romans chapter 11. And when addressing the Corinthians, Paul gave this. Now, it was in 1 Corinthians, so as we think of this, it's already been taught by Cornell, but this is what was brought forth by Paul in the first book of Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Everything we have of God, everything is from him our very life, our breath, our ability to serve him with the spiritual gifts that he's imparted to his people. The ability to be able to help others, the privilege of giving and bringing forth the gospel. This is all a blessing of God, which brings glory to him. He has taken fallen sinners, transformed them into his saints, his children, and now he's using this many believers of following him. He's making them vessels for his work. He has done all that. We should be constantly in thanksgiving for what God has given us. Anything we own, anything we have, we're just stewards of those things. And yet, sometimes people pursue those things rather than being enhanced and growing in the word of God and serving God fully. For a Christian parent, 
I'm going to have to stop here. I didn't realize the time frame. As we look at this, we think of the dedication that Hannah had. And I, my prayer for all of us who have looked at these accounts of Hannah can draw from that. And to be able to realize we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need for God to work in and through us. We should praise God for that, his gifts, and also utilize those gifts to honor him. Let's close for now. Thank you, Father, for the words you have penned in this historical narrative of 1 Samuel. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. And I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with the gift of salvation. You have provided your son to make payment for the sins of all those who have confessed you as Lord and Savior. We give you praise now and ask once again that you would continue to be glorified as we worship you, as your word is brought forth in the preaching and teaching from Jim, as we collectively worship you. May we bring glory to your name. When we pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.